Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. Are you getting married and need help transporting your guests to and from your wedding? Or maybe you're planning a birthday party or a bachelor or bachelorette party for your best friend. Or are you a team leader or a small business owner and planning a fun team building experience for your employees? Or maybe you're in sales and want to show your clients a good time during their stay in Vermont. Well, Best in Vermont Tours and Charters provides worry-free transportation services in their 14-seater passenger tour bus. With affordable rates, a comfortable ride, and your own professional chauffeur, Best in Vermont will transport you and your guests to your destinations and also guarantee a safe ride back home. Best in Vermont also features the Vermont Brew Hop, a customized craft brewery tour that visits the best breweries in our area. You will get first-hand experience of why there is so much hype around Vermont's microbrews. So please check them out at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. Or on Facebook at Best in VT Tours and Charters. Thanks, and now on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. Picture this, a chilly Saturday morning, March 2014-ish, maybe it was 2013. I'm not so sure anymore, but I do know it was March because it was just before my birthday. It's about 9 a.m. and I've been standing in line for about 20 minutes at the beverage warehouse in Winooski, Vermont, a store that doesn't open until 10 a.m. It's not Black Friday, but it feels like it. I'm standing in line on a quest to buy my very first heady topper. There's about 24 people queued in front of me, so at least I know I will score the minimum two four-pack limit. IPAs were never my cup of tea but I've finally been converted into an IPA disciple. If you're not familiar with the lore of Hedy Topper, it's one of the highest ranked beers in the world on Beer Advocate and RateBeer.com and has been Christian's the best beer in the world. What a privileged position Vermonters have found themselves in, not only to be in the mecca of the craft brewery industry, but also to have access to some of America's most coveted beers. This is why I'm so proud to be joined by Jen and John Kimmick, the creators of Hedy Topper, as well as other famous beers like Focal Banger, Pappy's Porter, Crusher, and they are the founders and owners of the famous Alchemist Brewery. Jen and John, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
So can you tell me a little bit about your childhood, uh, where you grew up, what your childhood was like? And I'll start with you, John. <laughs> I had a pretty idyllic childhood, I would have to say. Um, I was born and raised just north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was the youngest of six kids and uh, had a great childhood. It was a great place to grow up. Um, I had a great example from a hardworking father, and I was fortunate enough to be sent to college. And in, uh, in college, that's where I discovered brewing and have taken it from there over the last 20, 25 years. Um, it has been an amazing ride, and it continues to be an amazing ride. Great. What about you, Jen? I grew up here in Vermont. I grew up in a town, the town of Barrie. Um, my mother worked at the high school um, in the town of Barrie where I went to school, so it, it was interesting, to say the least. And then I went to um, college at the University of Vermont, um, and shortly after graduating from UVM, I, I met John in Burlington. That was a long time ago. <laughs> we won't uh, start counting dates here. So, Jen, what uh, childhood influences, if any, you know, uh, in your upbringing would have prepared you for what you're currently going through with The Alchemist? Well, you know, I, I think growing up, I, I was very interested in business. You know, I started out in the business school at UVM and, you know, I always liked the idea of um, working for myself, um, but I didn't know what capacity that might be in. Um, and then, of course, when I met John and he shared some of the same goals, it all clicked and um, we spent a lot of time working together, um, building our business plan together. So, But I think early on that, that was kind of a, whether I knew or not what type of business I was going to be doing, it just always appealed to me. I like numbers. I like, you know, thinking pragmatically. So does John. So um, business is just a good fit for both of us. So how did you guys meet? Uh, we met at the Vermont Pub and Brewery back in uh, 1995. Uh, I was the head brewer, and Jen had just returned from traveling abroad for a year, and she was working at the brewery in the evenings and working other jobs during the day, and uh, it was love at first sight. <laughs> for you or for her? <laughs> uh, for me, for sure. Uh, and she'd have to answer the rest of that. Yeah, it, was, it went both ways. <laughs> oh, I remember good. it clearly. We met at the coffee station. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I know a lot of couples usually, one of them is sort of having to be convinced to actually even just entertain the notion of going on a date with, with the other partner. And uh, only after that does the relationship blossom. Yeah, we, we were both definitely interested in each other, you know, from the beginning. And um, I would say a couple of months after we first met, we went on our first date and then we were engaged shortly thereafter. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So, John, how did you get into brewing beer, and what got you first interested in it? Uh, well, I first discovered brewing as a craft when I was in college. I was touring my junior year at Penn State University, and I was home for a weekend and was hanging out with one of my brother-in-laws, and I found his old homebrewing book, and just something about it grabbed me. And I started reading it and 
we ended up talking about it and agreeing to brew a batch of beer. And two weeks later, I came home and he had bought ingredients. And so we brewed a batch of beer. And that was it. Then I, I had found my calling. I mean, it had just grabbed me like nothing else had grabbed me. And, you know, I was in business school at Penn State and kind of in the same boat as Jen, uh, knowing that I wanted to be my own boss and, and trying to figure out a way that I was going to make that happen. And brewing presented itself and everything just started to line up. And I went back to school and finished my education and kind of had a newfound direction for that last year and a half of school and really made the most of it and, and decided that's it. That was going to be my career. And that's when I moved to Vermont and got my first job brewing and met Jen and set all of this into motion. So you could have just uh, possibly settled for a life as a brewer, you know, uh, working for somebody else. Um, so how did the idea of starting your own brew pub get hashed? I mean, that was the plan from the start. Uh, you know, they, you talk to lots of brewers and some say they just want to be a brewer and work for someone else. And then others are clearly focused on having their own operation. And that was me, without a doubt. I was very open with anybody I ever worked with and made my attention plain and clear that someday I was going to have my own place. So when Jen and I met and, and got together and realized that what we had in common and here we were working in a brew pub and of course that was, you know, at the time that was the most logical aspect of brewing to get into. Jen loved the restaurant business. I love, we both loved the beer side of business, and it was just kind of a natural thing for us to do. And at the time, the beer market was very different, and it made more sense to be a brew pub than to be a production brewery. But, you know, in the last 20 years, that has, that has certainly evolved. And we also loved working at the Vermont Pub and Brewery. You know, our dear friend Greg Noonan and his wife Nancy just created such a great community space that we loved that. We loved interacting with all the locals there, all the employees. It was like family. And we really envisioned ourselves having something like that someday, creating a community space where people would come not to just drink great beer, but just see friendly faces and be around people they enjoy. That was our ultimate goal. That was it. Right. So from there, what did you guys do? I mean, you knew that you wanted to open your own brew pub. Um, was it now just a matter of making the money available and coming up with a plan of where to, to locate this? How did that all come about? I mean, we spent the next six years of our lives together working any job we could get and sometimes multiple jobs just to scrape by and make a living and save a little bit of money and constantly refining our ideas, uh, conceptualizing what kind of place we wanted to create, um, and thinking about where we wanted to create it. You know, we moved around the country when we were married. We were in Jackson, Wyoming. We were in Victor, Idaho. You know, we were in Boston for a couple of years. Jen's roots were here in Vermont. There was something that originally drew me to Vermont that I just loved so much, and I missed it terribly. Being, I mean, Jackson's a beautiful place, but but I missed Vermont, and 
when we were in Boston, that's what really set it in motion for us to come back to Vermont because we had actually started looking for locations in and around the city of Boston and just decided that that was, you know, like many times in our relationship, we just follow our gut instinct and it usually leads us in the right direction. So we came back to Vermont with the idea that we were going to find a place to start a brew pub. And even then, it took us another two years of working crappy jobs and saving money and refining a business plan and, and running numbers and everything, you know, designing menus until we found the right location and were able to scrape together enough resources to actually do it. Wow. So this whole time, were you ever sort of questioning yourself as to why you were putting yourself through this because you've traveled all over the country you're saying that you're working all these uh these jobs just trying to make the money that you needed did you ever was there ever a point where you just were like you know maybe this isn't worth it uh not maybe it isn't worth it but of course there are times when i'm working as a bellman and carrying suitcases for people treating me like that i i start to, you know, get a little bit down and thinking, geez, we really, you know, this is not right. I mean, this is fine for money, but we got to stay focused. And, and it takes a lot of focus and dedication and commitment to make that kind of thing happen, especially the way we did it. You know, we didn't have a, a, a benefactor that was going to give us a loan to start our dream business when we were 22. You know, we had to earn it and I think I think we are much better off for having gone through it that way than uh, any type of alternative I mean you to go through that kind of hardship and to know what it's like to be broke and, and know what it's like to to kind of lose your path but not never really losing your path but you know it, it's hard you got to fight for it and we made it happen wow yeah, I mean, it's so so often uh, we are attracted by the prospect of instant gratification, but uh, from the sounds of things, you guys had this plan and basically put your lives on hold and invested and sacrificed emotionally, intellectually, financially into this plan. Uh, can you talk to me about the value of having a vision and what you have to go through to reach that vision? Well, I mean, neither one of us could ever be accused of being short-sighted, that's for sure. I mean, we... We understand and we understood from the start what made great businesses great. And, you know, if you're working at, at any restaurant, if it's a great place, you should be paying attention and learning and figuring out why it's great, what makes it great. And quite often what makes it great is laser-like attention to detail by the owners and constant involvement, you know. And so... You take that as a lesson and you go from there and you put your head down and you work your tail off and good things tend to come with that kind of, uh, with that kind of attitude. Hmm. So, so you guys were well aware that, um, by opening a brew pub, uh, you're competing with, uh, the Budweiser's, Miller's, Coors, and even established craft beers like Sam Adams and then to then pick a place in Waterbury. Uh, for places when I'm sure probably most people would have gravitated towards Burlington or somewhere in Chittenden County, you know, uh, what made you confident that uh, you would be successful there? 
Yeah, you know, when John and I decided to um, put our pub in Waterbury, people told us we were crazy. People said, you know, you need to have your your brew pub in Montpelier or Burlington or so, just what you're saying. But, you know, we didn't believe that. You know, we knew that people enjoyed craft beer everywhere, and we knew that a lot of people lived in this area and that if something of high quality with great beer went into the village of Waterbury, that it would do well. We just knew the people were there. Um, and sure enough, people told us we were crazy. And that first day we opened up and people just lined up. People were so excited. Oh, we don't have to drive to Montpelier anymore. We don't have to go to Burlington. This is so great. We're so just thankful to have a craft beer um, brewery in our in our small town. Um, and, you know, now Waterbury is thriving. There are so many beer bars. People travel there. Um, just just to go to the bars, go to the restaurants. And actually, Waterbury was named, I think, one of the best beer towns in the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Waterbury was a great location for us. And, and we just, a lot of it was instinct, instinctive. We just followed our instincts. So how was that time when you first opened the brew pub? You know, uh, you've saved all this money. You've now put it towards uh, your dream. What were the feelings that were going through you as you opened and uh, got business started? Well, it took us, you know, we did it on a shoestring budget. So it, it took us about six months to build out. Um, it, it was, you know, we were broke by the time we opened. We spent every penny we had. Um, and people would tell us, you know, don't plan on making money the first year. It's going to take five years before you break even. Um, and, but we were out of money, and we thought that was a really um, dumb business plan if you're not going to make money for five years. We knew we had to make money. So the first day when we opened and people were lining up, it was so much weight off of our shoulders. It was mm. such a relief. Um, and, you know, from that moment, it was just uh, the momentum kept building and building. Um, people were so happy we were there. Thank God, because the day after we opened up the pub, um, we found out we were pregnant. So it was really good to have that income yeah. coming in and oh goodness, that, yeah. that we would be able to purchase health insurance um, shortly thereafter. So, you know, it was a wild ride. And, you know, it's not for everyone because you're risking everything. You're putting everything on the line. And we've done that multiple times since we've started our restaurant. You know, just recently we put everything on the line again. Um, so it's not for everyone, but for us, um, we like the risk. We like taking chances. Um, but you need to be confident in what you're doing. You know, you can't waver and you need to have strong financial plans. You have to have great beer. You need to get the best ingredients. I mean, there's so much to it. Um, so, you know, you need quality from start to finish, but you also um, need to have guts. <laughs> yeah. And, and just need to be tough. So... You had, you had had this vision and you'd been working to it for, for years. And, uh, usually sometimes I have like dreams about how I wanted, I want certain things to, to, to pan out. And then, but when the rubber meets the road, did you get to a point where you realize that, you know, the day to day grind of operating the business was not what you had anticipated or was it pretty much sort of the way you had dreamt it? Well, no, I, I mean, it, we were very much aware of what it is like to run a restaurant and a brewery because we had done it for other people. Uh, so it's not like it was a shock, but certainly after, you know, a number of years, that's when Jen started really 
putting together the concept of a production brewery um, because we, you know, especially Jen, she saw the writing on the wall and she's like, you know, we're as busy as we can be. Is this it? You know, is this it for the alchemist? This is what the pinnacle of our existence. And, and so it got everybody thinking about what the next thing was going to be. That was a huge decision because we were working seven days a week running this restaurant and brewery. I was brewing all the beer. Jen was on the floor every night, pretty much. And, and you guys want to continue that, to grow even more. Well, it's not so much growth. It was we didn't want to be uh, washing dishes when we were 70 because the 18-year-old dishwasher blew off work again. We did. We wanted more security than that. You know, we didn't want to have to rely on that. We didn't want all our eggs in one basket. So we moved forward with the production brewery. Um, it took tons of convincing on Jen's part because I was so resistant to just put more work on ourselves. But of course, in hindsight, with the with the history of what has happened to us, that changed everything. So the fact that Jen had the gut instinct and the foresight to move forward with the production brewery. You know, the pub got destroyed and Hurricane Irene two days later was our first canning run. So the production brewery is the reason that the alchemist is what it is now. You know, that saved our, our butts and it gave us the ability to rebuild our building um, and then to move in a different direction with the production brewery, which has been even more of a success, building on the success that we had with our restaurant. What Jen touched on with the guts to take risk, I mean, absolutely, so much of it is that. You're not going to achieve great things if you're not willing to, to put your neck out there and lay it all on the line. And, you know, as she said, we have done that time and time again throughout phases of growth and at the same time keeping an eye on the future and placing the proper uh, perspective on the whole thing. And why why do we do what we do? What's our purpose in doing this? And that's part of the thing that has, at the same time, it's fueled our growth. It has limited our growth because we could be much larger than we are right now, but we choose not to be because we have different priorities. We're not ruled by strictly the priority of, of returns for investors. We have a, a bigger picture of what we want our business to be and what we want it to represent, which is what we wanted our pub to represent, which is a, a part of the community, a vital part of the community that that spurs economic growth. And it, it's worked that way for us with, with every one of these businesses. You know, we are we're fortunate enough to be in our position that we can do that. We now can help boost the economy around us, which is, you know, a, a very important thing for a small state like Vermont. Yeah, and that's what makes a lot of local businesses uh, so great for Vermont is, uh, is that connection and identity to not just the state, but the communities around us. And so just mm -hmm. to give my listeners a bit of context here. So you've got this brew pub in Waterbury and everything is going pretty much according to plan. 
you're growing and uh, enjoying life, Jen comes up with this idea to expand a little bit and creates an additional distribution line. And so then talk to me about your life on August 27th, 2011, and then what your life was like uh, the following day on August 28th. <laughs> I mean, you could ask that question of anybody that's a victim of a natural disaster. I mean, it goes from being business as usual to having the everything turned upside down. You know, I mean, that was our only source of income. It was completely put out of commission and 25 people overnight were unemployed. And so, you know, that weighed on us tremendously and drove a lot of the decisions that we made. Um, one of the, one of the ideas of originally starting that production brewery was simply to get our beer to people outside of our pub. You know, we didn't fill growlers, we didn't do anything to go. We only drank it at our pub, and it was like that for nine years. Um, so, you know, the day after that storm, it was it was madness. But throughout the whole thing, you know, as bad as it was, we were we're in the, we were in the middle of the neighborhood, and so every day we see our neighbors that it's not kegs of beer and tanks and, and chairs and tables that are ruined. It's everything they own. It's every memory they have, their clothing, their their keepsakes, and it's all gone. You know, so for us, we always kept it in perspective where it's like, you know, we lost a business, but that, that can be replaced. You know, that can be rebuilt. But so to see everybody else suffering much more, it was... Uh, you know, it was a crazy experience, to be sure. So, I mean, I know how badly I handle stress. Uh, were you guys sleeping at all during this time? Not much. <laughs> Not much. It, it was an incredibly stressful time. Um, it was also an exciting time, though, right? Because we just had this brand new production brewery that um, that we just opened. And we had put, a, you know, about eight months' worth of um, hard work into getting that little place going. We were over budget. We were past our timeline. Um, our, our funding for that small um, production brewery was totally gone. Um, the only thing that kept us building that and getting it complete that summer was the brew pub, which was so busy. So it was so ironic that the day that our first cans came off the line, we lost the brew pub. And then all of the money that we were taking in at our new production brewery is what funded um, – the cleanup and rebuilding of the building where our brew pub was because oh, wow. we owned building at the time. So, you know, it was crazy. We were, we were, you know, it was a difficult time, but we didn't have time to like be sad and feel sorry for ourselves. We really just had to put our heads down and get to work, and that's what we did, and that's what everyone around us did. Um, all of our neighbors, all of our friends, other business owners, not only they're helping us, but helping everyone in the neighborhood. Um, you know, it was kind of one of those things where after it's all done, six months, a year later, you look back and you say, wow, what a crazy time. Yeah. You know, you have a decision. You can either just crawl up and into a ball and cry and throw in the towel, or you can just put your head down and work, and that's what we did. 
Wow, kudos to you guys, because I can only imagine, I mean, I remember just some of the stories that came out of uh, Hurricane Irene and the challenges that people were having with FEMA and with uh, insurance companies and so on. And for you guys to not just pick yourselves up, but uh, to be able to plow ahead and, you know, turn things around. I mean, that, that says a lot. Yeah, we definitely were dealing with all of that stuff, insurance issues and you know, definitely not getting enough money and FEMA, you know, changing, rebuilding regulations. We dealt with all of that. But, you know, that was kind of, that got you a little angry and it got you working harder. So that was, that was kind of yeah. good. You know? So what happened to your employees? Like uh, you said, you had 26 jobs that disappeared overnight. I'm assuming there was nothing for them to do at that point. There really wasn't. We hired a, a couple of them right away to come work at the new little production brewery. Um, and then we got everyone signed up for unemployment as quick as possible. Um, but then really the big thing that we did was just the week following the flood, we applied for a grant through VITA, Vermont Economic Development. And it was a $100,000 loan, and it was supposed to come in before our insurance settlement. Um, and it was really meant for flood cleanup. Well, we got that money pretty quick. We had it within two weeks, I think, and um, we kind of made a really daring decision again, um, and we took that money and we right away invested in some new tanks, and those tanks were delivered within a week, um, and we doubled our production at our new brewery right away. So we had these bills piling up for flood cleanup, <laughs> and we got this lump of money that we should have started paying our bills, but we really took a chance and we doubled our production right away because we knew within four weeks canning that beer, we would just have so much more income coming in and we would need it. So, you know, we took that risk and it paid off well for us. We were able to double production. We were able to hire a few of the employees that had just lost their jobs. And then eventually when we found out we couldn't rebuild our brew pub because of new FEMA regulations not allowing basement um, construction where our brewery was, uh, we decided to lease out the brew pub space and just focus on our production. And then that year after that, um, we increased production about 600%. Wow. We were able to eventually hire back um, most of our employees that lost their jobs. Um, anyone, basically anyone that we really wanted to rehire, um, we were able to. Um, and right now we still have several employees that worked um, for us 13 years ago at our pub. Oh my goodness. So if I had said 13 years ago, while you were busy trying to pump water out of your basement, that you would now be running a multi-million dollar brewery that sold arguably the best beer in the world, what would you have said at that time? Uh, geez, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't, I don't know. That would have been really hard to believe because when we opened our brew pub back in 2003, the internet just wasn't the same as it is today. Cause you know, that, you know, our beer is so great and it's fresh and it's unfiltered, but I, you know, I do not believe that our beer would have been known around the world if it weren't for the internet, right? All of these user-based forums and websites um, have really created a lot of hype for smaller breweries. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it would have been hard to believe in 2003. Hmm. 
So, John, even though uh, in the daily grind of day-to-day operations, it may not feel like it, but you guys have clearly become a success. Um, what's driving your expansion philosophy and how you respond to criticism that maybe you're not growing fast enough or you're not creating enough distribution or maybe you should go national, you know, all of the, that sort of chatter that's happening? I mean, that stuff's laughable. <laughs> I mean, really, that's people that know nothing about us trying to project their desires on on what we do. It's just, it's kind of silly. I mean, we've never listened to people. We listen to ourselves. Um, and this business is ours. We will we will shape and mold it the way we see fit. Um, we don't have investors. Again, it gets back to Jen and I taking risks and putting everything on the line and not taking investors and not not doing things before we were ready to do them. Um, and now we have all of the control and all of the creative power. So we don't have investors clamoring for, for bigger returns and pressuring us to do things that we don't want to do. We get to focus our, our business on what we want it to do. We are very socially minded um, people and and this business has always been and, and will continue to an even greater extent be a vehicle for social change in many different aspects. Um, it, it goes so much more than just your basic idea of starting a business that makes money. You know, it, for us, it, it's so much more than that because we always told ourselves we'd never forget what it was like to have a crappy job and to work for a bad boss and mm. to have no stability and to have nothing on the horizon, you know. So it's always been very important to us to, to create the best job possible for our employees, a job that they are thankful for and don't want to leave and want to do a great job because we take such good care of them. And, and it goes from there to everything we do in the community and it's just so much bigger than than all of that you know we would never be chasing more money just for the fact of you know like when is enough enough what do you what what hole are you trying to fill with money you know that's just not how we roll you know we we like our business the size it is you know one of the things that inspired us is when you go to great restaurants that are regional places that you don't get anywhere else. You go to a specific place for a specific thing, and it's great when you go there, and you don't get at other places. Um, that's kind of what's so great about what we do here, you know, that we get to make something so so delicious that stays so local and is really a special thing to here in Vermont. That's something that we take great pride in, and uh, it's important to us. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the beer itself. Uh, what is an IPA and then what is a double IPA? Uh, Indie Pale Ale is a very hoppy pale ale. <laughs> exactly what the name implies. Um, the modern versions are uh, much hoppier than traditional versions, but uh, it, it really is a, a vehicle to present all things great about a hop. You get the flavor, the bitterness, the aroma, uh, and the double IPA is just bigger, hoppier, more alcohol, more structure, 
Um, and, you know, this day and age, there are a zillion variations. So where does the yeah, indie part of it come, come from? Well, the, the British and their imperial ways, they were sending their beer to India to their soldiers, and the hops act as a natural preservative and antibacterial, antimicrobial thing. So they would put more hops into these casks and send them off to India so they survived the trip and didn't go rampant. And the soldiers developed a taste for all those hops. And when they, when they returned to, uh, to home, they demanded beers like that. And that's where beers like Bath Ale derived and, and other beers that were hop-centric. And, of course, they developed also in that region because of the water. It just tends to lend itself to that style of beer. Got it. And so how do you come up with your recipes? I sit on a pillow on top of a mountaintop. And, <laughs> and in a yoga. And in a yoga. Gaze off into the sunset. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, you, it's like uh, where did anybody come up with the, the flavor profiles they want to create? They, they reverse engineer it. You know, you think about what you want the finished beer to taste like and what do I have to do to craft those flavors? And, and that is nothing more than knowledge of ingredients and experience. And so I have a small stash of heady that's uh, saved for my out of out of state friends and overseas visitors. Um, how long should I hoard these cans in my basement? Well, that that you just made me cringe right there. Those beers should be in your fridge. Our beer is meant to be refrigerated at all times. That's that's something we go to great lengths to try to educate our customers too. But some beers, I mean, we've held heady toppers in our cooler for years at times just to taste them. We've had three-year-old heady topper that is uh, still delicious. It's a very different beer, you know, obviously at that point, but uh, still great. But really, I mean, all of our beer, our IPAs are meant to be consumed fresh. And that's one of the, you know, one of the things that drives our whole concept of, of making it fresh and keeping it local and being consumed quickly just because, you know, that's the, the flavor we're looking to provide, that experience of coming into the pub and having a fresh batch of beer. Got it. And so why are your beers canned as opposed to drafts and bottles? Well, when we originally um, built our production brewery, there weren't many cans available on the market, and we really liked the packaging. That was one thing. Um, you know, Surly was was starting to can up their beer um out in, in Minnesota, um, and we we were just we really liked how their cans looked. And then, secondly, going into the packaging business, the canning line was affordable, much more so than a bottling line. And John and I had actually worked on some bottling lines, and they're just they're a lot of work. They're really messy, broken glass. So we liked the idea of the smaller investment and just a little cleaner process. Um, and then finally, um, we knew with the can. Um, that the beer would be protected from sunlight. Um, that was always one of John's biggest fears with bottling beer is sunlight getting to it, specifically hoppy beer, because the sun sunlight can just really affect the beer, give it a lot of unwanted flavors, flavors that aren't supposed to be there. So it's just perfectly preserved in the can. Um, we've worked really hard um, to get our dissolved oxygen as low as possible. So, you know, while we say drink our beer fresh, 
um, it won't go bad. If you have it refrigerated, it will really age well over time. It just won't have that rawness that it has when you first purchase it. Um, and again, a lot of that is because the um, dissolved oxygen is just so low. I see. So uh, a lot of people would say that uh, they would never be able to work with their spouse in a business. Um, it sounds like you guys have a pretty functional relationship. Um, it, are there tensions or synergies in running a business together? You know what? It's, you know, it seems so outrageous, but no. I mean, John and I work so well together. Um, we met working together. We've worked at other places together before. Um, we just, you know, I think we're fortunate because we really like each other. We're just best friends. Um, we also have a really good, clear division of labor when we need to, you know. If John is, you know, set on brewing a certain beer, I mean, that's totally up to him. It, brewing is his thing, you know. If I feel, um, you know, passionate about something with the financial planning or, you know, something that goes on in the tasting room, then he lets me make decisions. So, you know, we are always giving each other input. We have desks right next to each other, um, but we also give each other room to make the decisions that we feel passionate about, and we just respect each other. We love working together. So it's great. It's great having a family business. Um, we, we love it. You know, it's our life. I'm sure our son gets tired of us talking about beer all the time and, and work-related items, but, you know, it's what we do. It, it's our life. We love it. Got it. And he's 12. I mean, he can't really he can't really appreciate what we do. He has, he has some idea of it, but, you know, who whoever could, until you're an adult and you can – you really have a grasp on on the world, you know. It it's fun for him knowing that this is his childhood and his experience to see this stuff because I'm the youngest of six and my mom was the youngest of eight and my grandfather was an immigrant baker and so she grew up over top of a bakery and you know I grew up hearing stories about experiences like that and then my siblings going and and having their stories about being in that atmosphere. And it's just a cool thing to think about it like that. You know, I mean, what a unique childhood, you know, to be around something like this. And, and when he gets older and he really grasps just what everything is, I think, uh, I think it would be interesting, you know, yeah. whether he decides to be a part of this when he's older or not is totally up to him. But, uh, I know I'd, Oh, it'd be pretty psyched if my dad had owned a brewery. I would have thought that was pretty cool. You know, it might have not seemed cool for a little while, but as soon as I became an adult, it would be like, holy crap, we make beer? You know, I mean, that would have been a really fun thing. Yeah, yeah, true. So uh, just one more question. Um, how did you settle on the name and the symbol, the alchemist? The symbol was kind of what drove the name. Um, that was actually a small part of, one of the original uh, logos for the Vermont Pub and Brewery, which is where we met. My first paid brewing job was there, you know, when I was head brewer there. So one day sitting at the bar with Greg, um, you know, I pointed it, pointed that symbol out in the logo on the coaster, and he explained to me that it's the the alchemic symbol for fermentation. And I just thought that that was like the coolest thing ever. And it always stuck with me. And so when Jen and I were really trying to come up with names, we knew we didn't want to be like 
Waterbury Brewing Company, you know, or something like that. We wanted to have a unique standalone name that didn't necessarily tell you exactly what we were. And we asked Greg if he minded if we could co-opt that symbol and, and use to build our, our, our name around it. And he was cool with it. And so that's, you know, the alchemic symbol just it came into the alchemist. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, so in closing, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself and why? And we'll start with you, John. I don't think I'd change a thing because I would probably be someplace totally different now. Yeah. <laughs> My cumulative life experiences have made me who I am and got me where I am, so I can't imagine I would I would ever want to mess with the past. Jen? Yeah, you know, I, I think the same way. I think John and I, sure, we've made some mistakes along the way, but we're so happy with where we are and we've always learned from our mistakes and... So advice I'd give to my younger self, which I, I think we've followed, but I would give to anyone is really just follow your heart, do what you want to do, and, and go with your gut instinct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, would you like to share uh, with uh, my listeners how people can get connected with you, learn more about you and your business? And uh, I'm sure it's kind of obvious, but there are people that um, are listening to my show that may not be aware of uh, what you guys are doing. We have a website, alchemistbeer.com, um, and from that home page, you can access both our Facebook page, which is up, kept up to date, um, and also our YouTube channel. We have a lot of great videos. You can learn a lot about us. And I just found out last week that we have a Snapchat account. So <laughs> there you go. It's, uh, now all those pictures that everybody keeps taking of you, you know where they're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so Jen and John, it's been an incredible pleasure and honor to host you on my show today. Um, thank you thank so much you for sharing with us your experiences and your knowledge. You know, um, beer may not be the first thing that people associate with Vermont, but it's plainly obvious that uh, your beers are more than just hype. And the Alchemist has become so much more of a Vermont icon uh just like in the mold of Bernie Sanders and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So uh, please continue your relentless pursuit of quality over quantity. Uh, if for anything, it's so that I can continue to revel in the reaction of my Facebook friends and Twitter followers when I share a picture enjoying one of your brews. And uh, I wish you all the very best success as you continue uh, on this inspirational journey. Hey, thanks. That's great. And you get those headies out of your basement and into the fridge. I am doing just that as soon as I jump off this. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast On the Shoulders of Giants, we ditch our devices and explore the great outdoors with Angela Gibbons, the founder and director of Earthwalk Vermont, an organization formed to mentor children and families about connecting with the earth. I was a naturalist for two years back in 1987, and a group of inner city kids from like Oakland or South San Francisco would come out to the Redwood Forest for a week as part of their fifth grade. Uh, all fifth graders in the state of California would have a week of outdoor education. 
think it was pretty life-changing. Got to be on the end of um, showing them around the redwoods. We take them down to the tide pools and the ocean on the coast, and uh, it changed my life. I, I kind of knew it really the first day uh, when 200 kids showed up on buses, and we were their guides <laughs> to just um, most of the time we were, you know, barefoot with a guitar around our necks and playing music and inspiring these city kids to sit on the earth. I mean, a lot of them um, didn't want to get their clothes dirty. And by Friday, <laughs> they they were covered in mud or just um, it it was a, a beautiful experience. And and from there, I've been really uh, connecting, again, children and teenagers um, in, in some form since that time. 